Welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. We didn't ask for your comments on the Grimsby game, so we'll jump straight into the Salford game. Chris Thompson, simply, ouch. And Rich B thinks the circus is back in town. One player who found himself in the spotlight was the goalkeeper. Tim Robinson thinks it's still only early days and he'll improve. He also adds that we won't come up against many better than Thomas Asante this season. Colin Higginson also picked out Thomas Asante and said he found it so easy to stay out wide and find space. Crew's homework should have suggested five at the back. Andy O'Neill thought the whole game was changed on the sending off as it was still game on. He felt for the supporters who had travelled. Dan Colclough thought the Alex looked good until the red card and that was ultimately what changed the game. Graham Miles agreed the sending off was key but thought too many other players didn't turn up. It was as bad as the last visit there. Hello and welcome back to the Railway Men podcast. We are back to discuss the two games from this week and looking at them with last season still lurking in our collective shadows. I think this pod will have a familiar feel to us recording it and to you listening to it. We have with us three panellists who all know a little bit about watching crew defeats from their time with the club. They are Steve Hatton. Hello, Steve. Hello, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Mark Bertels, hi Mark. Hello everybody. And Trevor Griffiths, hello Trev. Good morning everyone. So we're going to start with Tuesday night and Trevor, this is mostly going to be you uh, as you were the only one who went to Grimsby and as we can't watch it on iFollow or anything like that, none of us who are on this call actually saw the game. So Steve and Mark can chip in with comments, but Trevor, it's going to be mostly you. One of the things I saw from the lineup was there was lots of changes. Curiously, though, it was all change in midfield, all change up front, but only one at the back with Zach Williams out and Charlie Finney in. What was the reaction when that team came out? Was it a confident feeling? No. Um, you can't make that many changes and expect to have the same performance. The players aren't playing for an obvious reason. And I don't think one of the players that came in did themselves any favours whatsoever. The two young lads I'm going to take out that equation because when you, you're brought into a side like that, you need support and they didn't get any. So I could see why they were the first two at half-time taken off to protect them more than anything. It was um, nobody did themselves any favour whatsoever. Whilst we're on those, those two young lads, uh, one of them was Tabernet, the other was Charlie Finney. Um, now, this is a question for the three of you. Uh, it's been on Twitter. I haven't seen an answer. Has there ever, in anyone's knowledge, or if anyone's listening to this, can anyone help us out, been two brothers that played in the same Coralic side at the same time? Mm, no. I've wrapped my brain and I can't think of any. Trev says no, then no. Well, yeah, so Gary, Graham McGarry on uh, Twitter couldn't think of any. The closest I think I've seen is the Claytons, but obviously Harry never played for the first team, uh, just came up through the academy. If anyone does know, uh, there's a quiz question that we're, we're waiting to find the answer to. Um, and Steve, I think it's something that we'll remember Ollie Finney for his time at the club. Yes, he'll be a, a trivia question forever 
Um, that probably be his most notable um, uh, stat for club crew. Apart from those goals that he scored the other year, which now seem a very, very distant memory. Mark, one thing I can ask you about Tuesday night, even though you didn't see the game, is we're talking about all these changes in midfield. We're talking about the changes at the top. The one person I would have expected to play, and this is sort of changed maybe by yesterday, was Billy Sass Davis. He didn't come in. He kept McDonald and offered. If you are Billy Sass at this stage, are you slightly worried with how your career is going? Uh, I would be. Um, he's, he's clearly not uh, the manager's first, second and even third choice. Um, I think yesterday it was more need than that. Like we, we had to have him. Um, because obviously Connor's gone to Wraith. Um, but yeah, it doesn't look good, does it? Um, you know, my opinion is he can't play in a two. Obviously playing with a two um, and it doesn't fit. So uh, yeah, I think I'd be asking one or two questions if I was him. Trevor, I'll come back to you because you saw the game. Someone we haven't seen a lot of this season so far, um, one of our new signings is Charlie Colquette. And he didn't actually last too long in the game, did he? No. He's got a good range of passing, but at the moment, he struggled to get around the pitch for me. And to be fair, he'd got Regan Griffiths alongside him to start with. And that changed after about 20 minutes because he hadn't touched the ball and they put Kashabala in mid alongside him and put um, Regan Griffiths out wide. It's difficult to judge on a game like that because he had no control of the game whatsoever. It was. We knocked it long. We couldn't win any second ball. It was an easy night for Grimsby, to be perfectly honest. The only time it did change is when Ainley, Dan came on and Sambu came on and we started running at them. Other than that, it was a nondescript performance. Similar to yesterday in the sense that the goalkeeper got no protection, but he didn't do himself any favours either. I'm going to stick with you, Trevor. You just mentioned the goalkeeper. We'll talk about the Grimsley goals very, very briefly. The first thing um, that I want to say from looking at the highlights and also from reading your match report that you put on the website, uh, which if anyone hasn't read at this stage, go and find it. It's very good. Um, Luke Waterfall is quite good at headers, isn't he? Uh, I know that. You know that. The crew defence didn't seem to know that, though. Well, I don't know who was picking him up. Looking at the... I thought McDonald was supposed to be picking him up, but whether he was, I don't know. It was just, it was food and drink to him. I mean, you saw, I would imagine the Wrexham game, and it was a carbon copy of the header. Knew where it was going, knew he was going to get on the end of it. To me, going back, I think the goalkeeper should be coming for them crosses. Get people out of the way, come and collect it. But in the last two games, compared to the first two, he suddenly suddenly decided not to do that. I don't know the reason, but he does seem to be resident to come for crosses, which baffles me with the size of him. It does seem an odd choice, doesn't it, when he's six foot six and he can come and claim yeah. crosses? Yeah. He's got, what, he's got a foot and a half above everybody else with his hands? It's, 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 I can, I remember Bruce Grobbler playing for the Alex in a six-month spell and Every cross that came in the box, didn't matter where it was from, Bruce was coming for it. And he was nowhere near as tall as this lad. It's an ideal height for a goalkeeper. Didn't come for crosses in the uh, the last two, Trev, after coming for crosses in the first two. 
What could possibly have gone wrong there? It's a, a real conundrum, that. It's a real mystery, isn't it? What yeah. could have happened in that what time? changed? Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not getting in that debate, gentlemen. I have no idea what you are alluding to in the slightest. Um, now, I'm going to open this last question up on the Goonsby game before we move on um, to all three of you. Uh, last week I said I didn't really mind I'd like a cup run this year because I do think we're going to see uh, a few defeats a few wins and mid-table mediocrity this year so I would have liked a cup run for a little bit of excitement but it's not the end of the world we're never going to win the cup Mark is it a concern that the players we have on the fringes of the first team come into a side and they're so comprehensively beaten by a team that is in our league is that a concern or is it you just put it down to one of those performances no, it's a concern. I think it uh, it highlighted the fragility of the squad. Um, and not only that, you know, if you get a, a championship or a League One side uh, or top-end League One side away from home, then you're looking at the fixture and thinking it's um, it's highly likely we're going to go out and it'll upset the, um, the momentum that we picked up in the first two games. And But Grimsby away wasn't anything to worry about for me. In fact, it, I saw it as a chance to go through and um, and obviously have a chance of repeating last year's uh, day out at Leeds. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the, uh, the manager said in his post match interview with hindsight, would he make those changes again? He said yes. Um, I find that surprising. I think with hindsight, I wish he'd stuck with the side that had done all right in the first two games and and tried to keep that momentum going. Yeah, it it wasn't to be honest. Um... There is a lack of depth in the squad. That's no surprise. I think what's just disappointing is that those lads on the fringes came in and by the sound of it were so inept. And I don't mean them young, younger Finney and uh, and Tabiner. I think those those established players who we've had in the first team before came in and were so comprehensively out of their depth. Um, and I just think there is a severe lack of numbers in some areas and the players we've got stuck with us for a long contract is a little bit worrying because we've already got rid of one who had a long contract and we're stuck with a few more who, to be honest, look nowhere near the team and don't even look like the manager wants them. I echo them thoughts. I thought that, that summed it up perfectly. The I, I I suppose I'm a bit old school, but to me, you, you should play your best team and if you're winning the game 3-0, then make your changes. It's difficult when you're two, three nil down for them lads that came on to make any difference. I don't get it. To me, you play your best team in a cup competition and get through. Injuries, you know, we you can't deal with two or three injuries in a squad. You're in real trouble. Our first eleven, maybe first twelve, are decent. Below that, I think we're going to struggle. You go back to the um, again old school Trev um, and the three boxes you know, score goals, create goals or stop goals, then yeah. where do you where do you put your tick for Ollie Finney and Regan Griffiths? Ollie Finney can score goals in a good side, but he's not in a he, he's not in the starting eleven. He's not going to get in front of Callum Mainly at the moment. So he's not going to be able to score goals anyway, because he's not in the and when he does come on, he doesn't affect the game. He hasn't affected the game, I think, since last January. So there's something clearly his form has gone that bad. He's going to struggle to get it back. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the way I look at it, when they both come on, they're both passengers. They don't really offer anything or give anything. Um, and, you know, substitutes are supposed to come on and 
if you're losing, change the game. And if you're winning, yeah. shore the game up and, and see it out. And I don't see either of those things from those two players. I was going to quote um, Mark from a previous pod, um, which I'm sure you'll like, which is, um, if the answer is Regan Griffiths, what the hell is the question? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't do any of them three things. He doesn't stop, doesn't make, doesn't score. So, well, he hasn't. Whether he can, I don't know. But at any time he's played, he's not affected the game in a positive manner for me. One of David Artel's biggest... Um... I don't know, I don't want to use the word false, but I'll have to, I suppose, was, I think, was he was blinded a little bit by academy bias. Um, and we've got those two players tied to long-term contracts and um, and we could do without it, really, because it seems like Alex Morris doesn't fancy either of them. Maybe the goal, in inverted commas, the cheap option, so he can bring in better players. Maybe that's one of the reasons, I'm not sure. But, yeah, you do get blinded by it, don't you? You know, you, you want your own to come through. But if you look at the starting 11 now, there's only really four that are academy. And, and they're the only four you would play. You know, the Kelvin Mallow academy stroke, been away. Lou Cofford, Zach Williams, and Callum Ainley. Because Billy Sass played yesterday, but he's not your first choice. None of the forwards are academy players. The other midfield players are academy players. So... We're now in this, are the academy players that have come through good enough? The, the batch behind, the Tabernas, and them will be. But that at the moment, we've got to keep the, the team going until they're ready to come in. I know he Finney, you know, he made, he played on Tuesday at left-back. Now, I would imagine he's played there very often. I know he played in friendlies this season, but that's not his natural position. So he was never going to be able to shine with the person in front of him not giving him any cover. Right, let's talk about Saturday then. Um, there was one change. If you ignore the Grimsby game, there was one change from the side that beat um, Harrogate the weekend before, and that was Rod McDonald going out and then Billy Sass coming in. I think that's actually a bigger change than we probably predicted it was going to be at the start of the season. I don't know if you agree with that, Steve. I think so. Um, I think Billy Sass did well at times last year playing in a three. I think it's pretty well documented that I think the majority of fans are a little bit worried about him playing um, in, a, in a back four. I think Luke Offord's best form comes alongside uh, a commanding, experienced centre-half, someone like Nottingham, someone like McDonald. Um, and I think McDonald's done well this year. You know, he is what he is. He's, he's a lower league defender. He's no nonsense. He's not particularly quick, but he'll put his head on it. He'll put it on Rose Ed when he needs to. And his positioning and his sense of the game is, is pretty decent, which I think really allows Offord to thrive. And I think it's no coincidence that he's looked a better player this year with that strong leader alongside him. Put Billy Sass alongside him. And I think the emphasis is on Offord to be the leader and be, be the commanding centre-half. Because um, Bill Sass is really still finding his way in the game. And I do think he struggles in a four. And I think that first goal yesterday, which I'm sure we'll come on to, kind of showed that naivety as well. Just one thing you mentioned there about um, McDonald helping Luke Offord. It was something, one of the articles that Adam Turner's written for the website mentioned at the start of the season. And he picked that out. He said Luke Offord is much better when he was playing with Nottingham. And yes, we've only seen it in two league games so far this year. But 
I would agree. I'd say he was spot on with that analysis that McDonald helps Offord with his reading, with his positioning, and he allows Offord to do what he does best whilst also not overcomplicating things himself. And yeah, I agree with the point you've just made there, Steve. I don't think Offord is good enough yet to be the leader of the two at the back. I know he's the captain, he's the club captain, but he needs a more experienced head back there, doesn't he, Mark? Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I mean, when I, when I saw the team straight away, I was thinking, well, why? Because I don't think he can play in, a, if you want to call it a two or a four. Um, you know, and we, we, we discussed in the stand before the game that he could have moved Zach Williams across and played centre-half and moved Tariqa Watwe into the left-back. Um, but he chose not to. And, you know, I think if, it, if I'd have been the manager and Conor O'Reardon's loan hadn't happened, I think I'd have put him in before Billy. Um, and I think that speaks volumes about Billy Sass-Davis. And, and I think, again, it highlights how weak the squad is once it's past the first sort of 11 or 12 um, I think Luke Offord has had before yesterday, and, and, I'm, and I'm going to include last season at times as well, had become my Mr. Reliable. Um, he just He's one of those players you don't really have to worry about. He reads the game, he does what he needs to do. Um, but yeah, plunk Billy Sass Davis alongside him, and, uh, and yesterday he, he looked a completely different player. And he's having to play on the left side of the two. Whereas with McDonald, he's playing on his natural right side of the two. So it's easier for him because he's not having to adjust his body as much. Whereas McDonald is a left-sided centre-half and often to probably a right-sided centre-half. When as soon as Billy comes in, it has to change. So he's, he's, not, he's changing him and he's also changing Billy at the same time. So that makes it a little bit awkward for Luke. But I don't know where Billy had his loan at Yeovil. And maybe he needed another season there because he's come back and he's not been first choice again. So he's not getting enough first team football. And when he comes in, like you say, you're playing in a three. It's a bit, it's a lot different than playing in a two because you've got other players giving you some cover. Like you say, you'll come to the first goal yesterday and that sums it up perfectly. Should we, should we do that now? Um, do you mm-hmm. want to tell us about what happened with the first goal? It was for me. It was awful. I don't know if that's me being uh, hyper, hyperbolic, but it was an awful bit of defending all round. We were behind the goal, so it, it's hard to tell whether he's offside. He looks offside, but he just ran past the centre-half. It just ran past... There was no... To me, as soon as somebody's running, you just block. If you don't get a tackle, well, he's not going past me, but just went through it. I was stunned, really. I thought, well, it must be him offside. Why, why are they... And they only appealed... When the ball put the ball in the net, they didn't put their hand up straight away, which is what you should do. It was, it was a little, it was a little give and go, wasn't it? I think the two yeah. centre halves had had one had one had gone left. I think one had dropped deep, like someone mentioned, and um, there was a little give and go, and I could almost see Connor Thomas looking over his shoulder, but they got, he just let the guy run past him, and he was through because there was no one else covering. I don't think it was a give and go. It looked like it was just a simple, straightforward. Um, it wasn't even a. Um, what you'd, you'd call an amazing pass, an amazing assist. It's a basic pass from inside the centre circle. Um, and, the, and you're right, the, the only man that runs with him or tries to catch him up is um, Connor Thomas. So you're thinking, like, where are the two centre halves? And then, you know, just to move on a little bit, as he gets into the area, 
if you look at him, he's he's not um, he doesn't look full of confidence, and he's not sure what he's got to do. And he almost passes it towards the goal, um, and the goalkeeper gets a big piece on it of something, you know. And and I personally think that the goalkeeper should perhaps be saving that. Um, you know, if you watch it back on the TV, which I have. It's not, you know, he doesn't drill it into the corner. He tries to, um, well, I'm not even sure what he was trying to do, whether he was trying to curl it round the keeper or whatever it was, he didn't do it very well because it was almost straight at Arthur. Um, and I think he should have saved it. It was a weak connection. Um, he should have saved it. And I'm going to put it out there. I reckon Dave Richards has saved that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's difficult for me because it, people will be listening to this thinking, oh, here he is again, I'm going to go with the keepers. And I don't really don't want to. But, you know, the first game at Rochdale, I'm going to be completely honest, he didn't fill me full of confidence. Um, and I put that down to the fact that it was his first game. He'd only signed the day before. It's his first game in sort of professional football in front of a crowd. Um, but I didn't certainly didn't buy into the fact that he was this wonder keeper that we'd signed. I think, you know, he got away with a couple. Harrogate, he had next door to nothing to do. Um, and what he did, he did okay, but he didn't do anything that was um, out of the ordinary. And and then obviously you're on to, to Grimsby and yesterday. Um, and he looks, he can't be a bad goalkeeper because he, he's so highly rated at Arsenal. That's That can't be an accident. Um, whether it's, playing in front of a crowd or whether it's just the, the the fact that it's league football and it's men's football and it means something, I don't know. But he, he looks absolutely shot of any confidence that he came with. You say he can't be that bad because he's at Arsenal. I've watched the first two episodes of the uh, the new Arsenal series on Prime. The only time he pops up is when the ball's going past him, when they want to show how good uh, Saka or Emile Smith-Rowe is. I've not seen him do anything else yet on there. I've not seen him make a save. It's always just to concede a goal in training. Uh, so I don't know. He, he might not be very good. But yeah, I mean, I wrote down, it feels a bit deja vu on my notes because I'm having to write what's going on with the goalkeeper again. And I thought we'd put this issue to bed. I really did. Uh, and I hope it doesn't become another recurring theme because surely everybody is as tired of hearing us talk about it as we are of talking about it. I hope so. But what worries me is um, the errors that he's making aren't, the errors you might expect from a rookie keeper, as in when to come for a cross, when not to come for a cross. They're bog standard saving shots, which nowadays is you'd expect your keeper to do. And actually what marks a keeper out from being a top quality goalkeeper is the ability to come and dominate his area. So he's not making those kinds of errors. It's like anything that's low down. So I think there was a similar goal at Grimsby. He seems to be struggling to get down to it and we'll come to the second goal. And, and that was similar as well. And so, what worries me is they aren't the errors that I would expect him to make. They're strange sort of shot-saving errors that he seems to be frequently making over the last couple of games. Which is the ones you should be making. But maybe size is contributing to that because it's harder for him to get, unless the, the full, anything round his feet type saves, or they're the ones that he's struggling with. If it's a full length save, he can get there, but he can't get this. I think it was the, the first one at Grimsley the head and it bounced over his hand. The one yesterday where Asante hit it without being closed down again, by the way, and that bounced just in front of him and he couldn't get to that one. So, yeah, it's a little bit worrying. 
because they're, as you say, they're bog standard. A lot of keepers can make worldy saves, but it's the bog standard ones you've got to make. Talking from my own, you know, extensive goalkeeping knowledge of playing goalkeeper for the Three Greyhounds pub in the Mid Cheshire League in the early uh, <laughs> early to mid two thousands. When the shot was like that, when I was in goal, because I'm six foot two, um, so I'm not as tall as him, but I'm also aware I'm not very fast at getting down. So a shot like that, all I would have done is I'd have stuck my left foot out and I'd have kicked that away because it was literally that close to him. You see these top flight or top class goalkeepers um, try and go down to gather it because that's better goalkeeping to keep hold of it. But surely the first thing you have to do is make the save to stop the ball going in. That was all my concern was when I was in goal. Surely that has to be it, but I think it gets lost sometimes. You can go back to Peter Schmeichel, and I was going to say David De Gea, but after his mistake yesterday, maybe not. But they always made saves with the feet. It was part of their armoury, but he doesn't look as if he ever uses his feet to make saves. But uh, yeah, Schmeichel was one of the best at it. You know, he's full body, and it didn't matter what contact he got, as long as he got part of his body on it. But you can be, maybe sometimes now, the coaching is too technical. It's all got to be about the perfect gather, the, the perfect stop, rather than good old-fashioned, stop the ball going in a goal. And, that, and that's the basic of a goalkeeper. But we get maybe too technical. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, <clears throat> I think there's, uh, certainly at the level we're talking, sort of League Two, there's too much emphasis for me on technique. Um, and you're right, it should just be you. all we want you to do is keep the, the ball out of that net. We'll move on to one of our strikers who, I'll be honest, at the start of the season, I think many fans were of the opinion he shouldn't be at the club. They, they didn't think he was good enough. I think uh, myself, I was one of them. If he'd have been moved on, I wouldn't have been disappointed. But he'd started to change my mind. He'd started to you know play well, put a lot of effort in. And then 30 minutes into yesterday's game, Mark, Trevor, you were both there. The, the iFollow cameras didn't catch it. What happened with Sambu? Well, the honest answer straight away is I don't know. Um, the reaction was, um, first of all, it was surprising because he, he didn't strike me as that kind of person, never mind player. And my sort of initial concern with the level of, um, of anger that he was displaying was that maybe something had been said to him. Um, now, whether it had or it hadn't, that still wouldn't justify what he did. But as it transpires, it doesn't look like anything was said. It was just a simple off-the-ball, I don't know, slap, hit, punch, whatever you want to call it, that probably happens at all over football pitches all the time because players are trying to wind each other up um, and, and get one over on them that way. And it appears that it worked. Uh, the first I saw was he, he was um, he was chasing after the player. Obviously, something had happened, but he grabbed him round the throat. And, you know, you you can't do it. You really can't. And then he made a complete dick of himself because he, he looked like he was um, having to be forced off the pitch by his own players. Um, and after the card was shown, he still wanted to go back and have another go. It, it, it didn't look pretty at all. And... Um, there were some extremely long stairs from the uh, from the bench as he as he left the pitch. In fact, I've seen on the replay that, that Kenny Lunt went over to him and he almost shoved Kenny Lunt out of the way. So uh, good luck with that, uh, Bass, on Monday morning when you've got to uh, face the management and players and explain yourself. Yeah, 
it started in the they got a free kick um, just outside the box. Kelvin Mellor gave away, and um, they were having a little thing. I think the, the he, he was just goaded into it. But to then go 45 yards up the field when we've got the ball about to take a goal kick and do that is beyond. It, it, it was it was so stupid. You just you've got to be better than that. I understand, you know, you you do get if it if it had happened in our box when it happened, I understand it. But to go all the way up there and keep letting it go on doesn't make any sense. To be fair, he has apologised, but uh, the game was over once that had happened, and he will be disciplined. By the way, I think it's like Trev said. Um, something had happened um, just earlier in that Kelvin Mellor had, had he'd committed a foul. It was a yeah. standard sort of foul, nothing out of the ordinary. And suddenly he was surrounded by Salford players in his face, pushing and shoving, completely unwarranted. And that kind of altered the mood a little bit. And I think that was quite uh, typical of their attitude throughout the game. And I'm I'm in no way blaming them for Sambu sending off because what he did was ridiculous. But they were clearly looking for that kind of thing. Um, uh, and they were play acting and throwing themselves to the floor. The referee, I thought, was particularly weak as well. But they were just quite niggly and unpleasant. And I think he fell into that trap that they'd set for him because that whole fuss in the corner was just a nonsense. It was a nothing foul. None yeah. of you would have heard this uh, on the Pete Morse, Graham McGarry commentary, um, but Pete Morse called that organised outrage. It happened just after the drinks break. It was clearly something the management had said. Next time he gets fouled, surround him. The ref will book him. He's very weak. He's buying all of this shit that they're trying to pull. And um, that was what happened. And then it carried on. Now, I have seen a couple of people suggest on Twitter that um, the reason Sambu reacted the same way, the way he did, rather, is that he was hit in his uh, his gentleman's region. Uh, but still, like, as we've said, you know, that's the game that they're trying to play. And you have brought that game hook, line and sinker. You've missed that game. You've cost us the result, maybe. I mean, we were 1-0 down. There's no suggestion we were going to get back into it uh, just because we, we we can do. We might have done, we might not. But he's also, that's the three-match ban at least. So now it's cost him the next week and a half of football as well, two weeks of football. Well, what he should have done, logs it, next 50-50, I'm going to smash you. That's I think I mean. if you, you might remember this, you might not. First minute of the game, clear handball that the referee didn't get. And Sambu stopped. He was through. You know, he only had one defender to beat and he stopped for the handball. He should have carried on, played to the whistle and all that. Uh, but he stopped and he couldn't believe the referee didn't give a free kick. And I don't think he calmed down from that incident until he was sent off, which, you know, it's nice to see some passion, but you have to have, uh, you have to have passion with a little bit of common sense at the same time. The biggest disappointment for me is... You know, I, well, if you go back to the Rochdale game and I saw his name on the team sheet and thought, oh, my God, what are we doing? But actually, he was terrific. And he was uh, really good again last week against Harrogate. And um, he's really let himself down because I think he, he got the shirt on merit um, and he's lost it now through his own stupidity. And actually, despite what people think about him in front of goal, his work rate and his ability to win the ball back for us, I, we will actually miss. I would say that, he made a difference when he came on at Grimsby because he was direct. He, he is powerful. He's got, he, he's got the physique to be a, a real threat. But when you do... I can understand why he didn't cool down because it was that horrendously hot. But, yeah, 
I don't suppose he's played in enough games and enough games at that level where that type of stuff goes on. Uh, you've got to be, you've got to be switched on to that. And as Steve said, exactly what I did on next time we got a free kick up the area and the goalkeeper, the refs looking the other way, they give him a dig. Simple as that. You, you've got that's the type of thing you've got. You've not got to be open in the middle of a pitch where everybody can see and you grab somebody around the throat. I just don't. It just killed any chance we had of ever getting back into that game. And that's what's got to be emphasised to him. Somebody's got to get hold of him. And to be fair, the, the two lads that were pushing him away, they knew it, it cost them straight away because they didn't back him up. They just got him out of the way and said, and he wanted to go back for more, didn't he? Yeah, Because yeah. the lad was actually golden in then. He was sticking his tongue out at him because he'd got him sent off. And that's, you know, he's, he's definitely got to learn that lesson. Thinking about the game as a whole and the season as a whole at this stage, if we were to look and if we were uh, to go on where, personally, I think we were going to finish, which is somewhere around the mid-table area, I think a mid-table team would have expected to beat Rochdale. I think they're going to struggle. I think at home to Harrogate, they'd expect to win as well. I think Salford uh, away is probably a result that is probably going to be a difficult place to go for a lot of teams. So we're probably on par with where I think we are. Now, Rio Adabiti, when he came on, said a great season would be champions, a good season would be promotion. I think that's nice to hear, but I don't think it's realistic. So, Mark, what I think I'm asking in a longabout way is, is it time to panic following a cup exit and a defeat at Salford, or are we playing the long game here? I don't know. Um, I wrote a post on Facebook last night that said, will the real crew Alexandra please stand up? Because I don't know any more about them now than I did before we kicked off at Rochdale. You know, we had two good-looking results. Um, and they were good results. You know, put into context, I suppose, Rochdale is still pointless um, at the moment. So maybe that wasn't as good as it looked at the time. Harrogate, we were fine. But there's such a contrast between the two wins and the two defeats that I don't suspect that we're either of those things long-term. I don't think we're solid and we're not going to let goals in. And, you know, I think it was, we'd scored five and, uh, and let in one after two. And now we've shipped a load. I don't think we'll be either of those things long-term. I think we'll, we're somewhere in the, in, in the middle and that, that will reflect on the league table. I think we'll finish somewhere in the middle. Um, that's assuming we don't get a, an injury crisis because then I think it, we would start to drop. Um, no, I don't think it's time to panic, but we'd have all taken, I think, two wins out of the first three league games, but we've got two home games now against um, Sutton and Northampton. And, you know, if we're still on the same amount of points after those two games, then the, the start of the season suddenly becomes um, well below average. So I think uh, there's a, it's a big week coming for uh, Alex Morris and the team. I think our first choice... 12 or so players could potentially have us sniffing around the playoffs. But the reality is those 12 players are not going to be fit all season. And as we saw on Tuesday night, what is beneath them is not good enough. Um, and I think the results are a clear indicator of where we are and how the season will pan out. We'll, we'll beat the Harrogates and we'll beat the Rochdales and we'll slip up against the better teams because I think our destiny is probably to, to plod along in mid-table because there isn't the depth to keep us going. Um, 
what surprised me yesterday was actually for the first quarter of an hour or so, I thought we looked solid, we looked compact, we looked the better team until we conceded. And I was really encouraged thinking, hey, we're really taking it to him here and we looked the better side. And then we we fell apart defensively and obviously Sambu fell apart mentally as well. But um, I think the results so far are an indicator of where we're going to be um, in, at the end of the season. Yeah, mm. should have scored, which is something we haven't mentioned. I was just about to mention that if if, if Dan had scored there, I think we'd have gone on and won the game <laughs> because we, we, what we what we we do or we, we're trying to do is score the first goal early, get in front, and then we can control the game. Once we're having to chase, I don't think we've got the players that are, are capable of that. I think we are a team that are looking to get in front. Stop the opposition from getting anywhere near us, and which we had done. If you look back to the the chance, it it should score. Simple as that. It, it was the goalkeeper either side of him, you know, in between the posts, and it had been a goal. And if we'd have gone one 0 up, I think we'd have won because Lacklenbrook and Sambu were are there to. Oh, if if you, I know you probably didn't, but I, I watched the. Um, second half of the Manchester United game, standing still with the highlights. And they were doing exactly the same thing, um, stopping United getting out. And that's I think that's what we're trying to do. But once we go a goal behind, it becomes a lot, a lot more difficult. I think, as Steve alluded to and Mark said, unless we, when we do go behind, I don't think we're going to be able to win many games. But if we go in front, I think we'll win plenty. So... It is the first goal, more so now than ever. A couple of other things to mention uh, before we move on uh, away from the pitch. I probably can mention them at the same time. Um, Trevor, Mark, you were both there. Mark, it was quite a full crowd, and I presume that didn't really uh, help you with the weather conditions yesterday. No, um, it was uh, it was ridiculously warm. Um, it was bad enough standing watching a game of football and it never mind trying to play a game. Um, Trevor pointed out to very early on when the players were warming up, they warmed up in black uh, shorts and tops, which just seems a, a ludicrous decision. Whoever come up with that did, certainly didn't help. Um, and then Trev's right, you know, as soon as we went 1-0 down, it was game over. There's no way that, that the team were going to be able to find the... the the, the strength and the fight to to come from behind and chase a game in that intense heat. You know, it's the sort of day where Dan puts us 1-0 up with that header and then we keep the ball and make them run round after it. Um, and that's exactly what they did in the end. I mean, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think our goalkeeper had touched the ball, had he, before the, the goal. Um, we, were, we were more than on top. Um, and I agree completely with Steve. You know, you, you're watching it thinking, we're doing all right here. You know, this is a tricky place to come when we're taking the game to them. Um, but yeah, once that red card went in the air uh, and you factor in the, the intensity of the heat, uh, it was game over. Uh, and I could quite happily have gone and got back on that air-conditioned coach. I've watched football around the world and whatever, and that was the hottest game I've ever stood and watched. You were actually dripping standing still. Because the, the end we were in, the sun was full on. The, where we were standing was aluminium steps. And at one point in the second half, I thought, oh, sit down, I'm fed up here. 
and I actually nearly burnt my hand. It was that up. People were going out, they were charged. There was no water, no bottled water left in the ground after half time, in the ground, anywhere. And they were selling tap water for a pound. It's illegal. It is illegal. You shouldn't be charging for tap water. Um, people in the stand that we were behind was the only little bit of shade. But there was more people out, actually, after half time, not watching the game as watching the game in our end. They were behind it. I, I just stood there and I was dripping and I, I happened to get, um, there was two left on the counter of water and I went up and um, I said, you got any water? She's like, they are. And I just took it and I thought, I'm not giving you any money. I walked off. And it was, it was, I'm not paying for tap water. But they had no bottled water. It was actually dangerous. If somebody had collapsed and they were, were trying to give them water, they would have struggled. The stewards... They didn't have any water with them. They were struggling for water. They, they were being told they had to pay for drinks as well. Stewards at a, a football match. I know. Ludicrous. ludicrous. Yeah. It, it was It was wrong. Um, it was the hottest day. I don't know. Well, I say I've seen football. And somebody should have been bright enough to have got enough water in for a game like that. Because I lost a few pounds, just stood still. Well, we spoke about that water. Yeah. We spoke before the very good Stu. We spoke before the um, the game, Trev, and said, you know, if it's a frosty pitch or a, a particularly waterlogged pitch, they call the, the game off because of the, the player's safety. Yeah. And yet they seem quite happy to let them run around and push the bodies to the absolute limit in ridiculously intense heat. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's a, a good idea. And, you know, I, I think when the forecast is such as that, that um, we should be looking at rescheduling them for a different time of the day. I know it's not easy. Um, I really do. You know, it's not, it's not logistically, it's, it's difficult. But what I don't want is for a player to collapse and, and something serious happen to him on the pitch due to heat exhaustion. And then the Football League say, well, actually, it's a bit dangerous playing in that kind of heat. Maybe we shouldn't. Um, I think it needs to looking at Okay, then there are two more games coming up this week. We'll start with the Tuesday night game against Sutton United. Okay, so Tuesday, Sutton United. Um, Same as our other home games so far this season, this will be our first ever league meeting between the two. I think it might be our first ever game against Sutton United, but I can't think, I can't find any evidence to suggest that's wrong, but it may be. What do we know then about Sutton United? It's the Dario Grady derby. They beat Coventry 2-1 in the top years ago. Um, I'm... I was going to say the Dario connection, obviously, um, but from what I know, and I'm led to believe that that's where anything to do with Dario ends, because these days they're a great big physical um, team of, of giants that are going to come and try and bully us. Um, so traditionally and historically, we don't do too well in those games. So uh, it's certainly not a, a home banker. They're athletic, big, don't play nice pretty football but are effective and that's you know that's what football's about being effective you, you can be as fancy as you like with the ball but at the end of the day you've got to be 
you know, winning games. And they're quite capable of winning games. They beat Barrow yesterday, who'd, who'd had a good start. So, you know, obviously they're no mugs. Yeah, their start this season so far is won one, lost one, drawn one. I think they drew with Newport. They beat Barrow, as you just said, and they lost to Doncaster. So, again, I don't think you can read too much into that because those are probably results that you would expect for where Sutton are going to finish. You know, Doncaster being more tipped than we are for doing something this year. And then if you look at last season, they finished one place out of the playoffs. They got to the Pizza Cup final. It's going to be a tricky game, Steve, or am I reading that wrong? I think it will be from from what you've said about um, the physicality of them, um, the fact they had, I think they had a really good end to the season. They had a really good run um, that took them to the fringe to the play, the fringe of the playoffs. Um, I think it's going to be a, a real challenge. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm giving a prediction here or not, but if you would like a prediction, I'm thinking it'll be a 2-2 draw. Bearing in mind, we are looking a bit thin on the ground in terms of um, decent centre-backs. Yeah, OK. Well, you've given a prediction. So, Mark and Trev, before we move on, do you want to give us your score predictions for Tuesday night? It'll be 2-1 either way. <clears throat> You're not prepared to say which way? No. Whoever scores first will win the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go for 2-1 uh, <clears throat> against, actually. Um, I think sometimes the temptation is to look at the team name and maybe even the sort of ground and you think, well, they're a smaller club than us that we should be should be winning um, with Harrogate and Sutton. But it's got nothing to do with either. It's the, the 11 that they field on the pitch. And I think um, I think there'll be a bit of a hangover from today, uh, physically and mentally. So I, I can see a defeat coming. I'm disappointed Trev didn't say 2-1 to the Alex, considering, you know, the first game of the season, there was the 2-1 against Watford. No, I know I'd said it would be 2-1 either way. If we score first, we'll win. Okay. Are we going to score first, Trev? You're pushing me now, aren't you? Go on, then. <laughs> Excellent. 2-1 so crew. There we go. I got it in the yeah. end. All right. OK, I spoke to the Sutton United Talk Time podcast to get their take on how the season was going. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So you are from the Sutton United Talk Time on podcast. What is that? How long have you been going? How's it all going with that? Um, what is the name? I tried to be extra clever. So it's Sutton United SU Talk Time TT on podcast. Sutton podcast. I have to explain it every time. So I've realised it was probably a little bit <laughs> too too cryptic. I'll hold my hand up and say I didn't understand no, that myself. No. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much what my, bro- what my brother said. He's like, "You're trying to be too clever again, aren't you?" <laughs> but what it was is that I did podcasts back really just to show someone at the club what could happen. There's a little time that we could have people listening, and I kind of just did it a few times. Um, and my idea was at the time I did a bit of chat about football and some music. I tried to get local local bands, local musicians, and just slot their songs in. And I just found it was taking up literally all my time trying to find guests, trying to find people on there, um, and, and tell people to allow me to lose the music. So it just got too much for me. And in the end, I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Um, so instead of tweaking it, I just dropped it for a couple of years. Then when we got promoted last year, um, there was something on the BBC London. And I was like, that was a really good listen. I really like listening to some fans talking. There must be another podcast out there by now. So I Googled it and found that my one was still the only Sutton United podcast that was around. Um, 
asked a few people would they be up for just coming on every now and then and um, just decided to take the plunge made it slightly different now it is just literally me talking to a couple of fans getting an away fan similar to a lot of football podcasts because it, it just works so now it's just literally we just do a little chat on video call and um yeah i'll try and get on some guests every now and then i've had a, a, the manager on a couple of times chairman um a couple of ladies players and i'm starting to get some of the players on as well excellent uh, sort so of similar trajectory to what it sounds like we were to be honest um now last season speaking of the football club first ever year in the efl um it went okay didn't it it, it wasn't bad no <laughs> we it, it was all a bit of a, a surprise because we're, we're Sutton united and we are a non-league football club um we happen to be playing in the football league for our second year but we we've always been non-league that's always what we were it's, it, it was it difficult for for myself because I'm identify I'm a non-league fan and that's part of who I am and then suddenly the season of COVID we, we didn't get to many games so that's why I didn't really feel too real for us is we, we were doing so well and um, we got promotion but the first few months of last year was a little bit like kind of looking around going someone's going to tell us that we're not allowed here anymore it's it's we're in the VIP section we're not supposed to be here and it was just amazing and then you've got big clubs um, Oldham's, Bradford's and stuff sort of being annoyed they're in League 2 and we're, we're delighted we're in League 2 um, so yeah it was all, all a bit strange and then we were doing doing so well um, again we were in and around the playoffs for, the, for pretty much the whole season and um, even when we were doing really well at the beginning of the season we were just like a 50 point mantra, 50 points, 50 points, 50 points but yeah Matt, Matt has got the players playing absolutely fantastic, it's, it's amazing and it was just really really weird last year just to be going and seeing us playing at these big places and this year I think we can enjoy it a little bit more because we're a bit more used to it. Speaking of this year then is there a sense in the club that you were so close to making the playoffs last year that this year you can go one better or is there uh, a different belief that second season syndrome is a a real thing um, and that is something that you and the club need to be aware of this year? Uh, both I'm sorry that's a really silly answer it's certain fans we're, we're, we're a bit sort of odd we we've all started literally it's all straight away when the season finished it was like right 50 points now um never mind what happened yes it was it, I think we were the only club in league two's history to get 76 points and not get into the playoffs um, which was amazing for us um we also got to the um, peace cup final which again was was a great great day but yeah this season the second season syndrome I think it's where a lot of clubs say oh people find you out it's not hard to find Sutton out we play 4-4-2 with a bigger than a quicker up front two fast wingers um pretty much I'd say every every match that we've had under Matt has been played with very very similar um formation and tactics but it's knowing what we're able to do and it's all based on hard work so yeah people might know what we're going to do but they've got to stop us it's not been a great start, but we're actually already better than we were last season as well. So <clears throat> who knows? But we wouldn't be disappointed if we just got to the 50 points, because, again, survival is important. And that's what we're, we're basing it on. We need to be an EFL club. We spent a lot of money on the, on the pitch and the ground. Um, but, yeah, if we could get anywhere near the playoffs again, we'd be utterly delighted with ourselves.
You've just uh, briefly alluded to a few bits of the tactics that we'll see on Tuesday. Uh, we just had a discussion on the main part of the pod about how Sutton are going to come. They're going to be a big team. They're going to try and bully us. Is that a perception that you're happy with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are a big team. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I try not to stand next to many of the players at all because they are giants. Um, but... It, it is a perception, to be honest, of, of the, that we we bully teams. Um, we're there to play football. We, we are we are physical, but it's not a dirty side. Um, watch some of the goals from last year. You can you can fall into the trap of are they just long ball merchants, and then suddenly one of our wingers will take on two or three players to put in a beautiful through ball, and you're like, where did that come from? Um, but again, we we're going to be almost every season the last in the pecking order of, of players are available um because other clubs will come in and pay more than us um we we, we know where we are we know what we can afford with little and um we, yeah we mostly we're quite happy with that yeah every now and then you'll get a bit upset when things didn't quite go as we expected um but the one thing we know is when the players come off the pitch they they've given everything. And I think as a football fan, that's pretty much what you want from your team. You want to know that those players are going to gonna collapse on the pitch for, for your team, for your colours. Which players in particular should we look out for? <laughs> right, this always sounds like I'm dodging the question whenever I'm asked. Every one of the players on that pitch can make me look a fool by not mentioning them. They are a unit and it is fantastic to see um, I've often likened it, and I don't mean it disrespectfully, but they, they're a bunch of mates and you can almost imagine them playing on a Sunday morning together as well um, because they are that close. Any one of the players, we've got Will Randall, who's been fantastic through pre-season, but then got a, a quite a severe dead leg and he's missed most of the season so far. Um, he's close to coming back, but the player who's come in is a guy from Luton, Josh Mirfield, who, who's been fantastic. He's, he's on loan with us. You mustn't fall in love with a loan player, we keep getting told, but he is just been brilliant. Enzio on the other wing can suddenly just spark into a game that you've got no hope. Um, any of the midfielders can just pick a game by the scruff of the neck but in general it is honestly the team. Um, everyone each week I ask people for nominations of their, their sort of player of the day and Omar our forward is pretty much always picked because he's got a baseline of performance which is always up here and but again Donovan, the other striker, could also just suddenly come on and smash a brace in. So it sounds like a cop-out, and I know it sounds like a cop-out, but genuinely any one of those players who I haven't mentioned <laughs> will come in and do really, really well. And you're like, you never mentioned him. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a difficult question because they are just such a good unit. OK, Mike, final question, and then I'll let you go. Uh, what's the score going to be on Tuesday? Uh, I think my success rate in predicting scores has been about one in a hundred. So I wouldn't actually be running off to the bookies with this. So if you predict um, a certain win, that'd be great for us. <laughs> no, I thought you said score. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think we're going to be buoyed after Saturday um, because we we scored a goal that we didn't really deserve. And then we conceded an awful goal in the last minute but it was fantastically ruled out because it was an indirect free kick and it bounced over everyone. I was fuming because the keeper, it literally bounced over the keeper and I was like, what is he doing? And then obviously it was disallowed. Um, so I just think that, that that's going to give us a little bit of a boost. Um, and I know your players will be a little bit knackered after running around in that heat for, for quite a long time. 
So I'm going to say that we're going to sneak it with a real, real stinky performance and uh, win 1-0 or 2-1. Um, and it, it it won't be performance that crew fans will be walking away from going, oh, well, we were, we were well bad there. It was, it'll be just like, how did we lose that? Okay, Mike, thank you for your time. You're more than welcome, Stuart. Thanks a lot. So if Sutton is a team that we don't really know much about, we've never really played them before, I think the opposite would be said for Saturday's opponent, Northampton Town, a team who a lot of pundits have got as their favourites for promotion, some also going for Northampton for the title. So we've just said Sutton might not be an easy game. I think we can sort of guarantee that they're not going to come and make it easy for us on Saturday, are they, Northampton, Mark? No, and I don't know a lot about them, but certainly when we uh, when we played them previously, they fell in, uh, fallen into that that same bracket of big, strong, physical. Um, and I remember doing a pod actually uh, last season, I think it was, where I said I wouldn't want to watch that every week, but it works for them. Um, they get results, and and they get good results. And you know the fact that they're um, they're labelled as one of the favourites speaks volumes. So. It's a tricky week. I said earlier on, it's a big week for the Alex. It's a tricky looking week. This, I think, if we um, if we can come out of these two games with maybe four points, I think that's uh, that's quite impressive. They've just rewarded their captain with a three year contract. Yeah, friend would of the get pod. An hour team. Yeah, he would get an hour team now. That's a certainty. That's John Guthrie. Just in case anyone's not aware, yeah. that's who Trev's talking oh. about. Yeah, he he would get an hour team. Let you know he. It'd be ideal for us. Is exactly what we want. And the, they've got the lad who's, who started to score goals, who's been there a few years. So they'll be up there. They'll be in the, at least the top seven, definitely. Yeah, they have started off the season well as well. They are currently in fourth. I know it's early season. Uh, they've had two wins and a draw. Steve, what would you consider a good result? Or, or like Mark says, four points this week. Would you take that now? I'd take four points now. I think this is a really, really tough, tough week in terms of where we are in terms of players um, and in terms of the opposition we're facing, um, kind of seasoned, seasoned campaigners, physicality, things we often struggle with. I think we've got a pretty lousy record against Northampton over recent years. I'd take four points now and snatch your arm off for it because I think I think Northampton will turn up and do a job and, and turn us over. We have got a lousy record. I think it's one of those things that everyone always says, well, Northampton, we struggle against them. We did do the double over them our first year back in League One when they came up with us and went straight back down. That Ryan Winton 94th minute winner where people were allowed briefly back into the ground. Four points would be a great return, but I don't think we'll get four points. I think there's a um, a really good chance that we'll be sitting this time next week with, uh, with two defeats. And I think that um, if that happens... And there's a there's a sort of potential for last season to uh, to hang over. Then you know it, we're we're looking to be in a bit of a mess. Um, it's I don't want to overplay it, but I don't want to underplay it either. It's a big big week. Mark, what if he went the other way? And we got we had six two points. wins. Yeah. Um. Then it would be a fantastic start, and I think you know then you've got to start, we always say 10 games, don't we? Then I think your prediction at the start of the season of knocking around it just outside the playoffs and, uh, and hoping to be in with a chance of them come sort of March, April time would be, um, would be a, a fair shout. Yeah, I, I, was just, I was just saying that because if, if we're saying it's crucial, 
and it, we, we do get the wins, we could go on to have a really good season. So this will be a little bit of a test for Alex Morris to see what his, what his core values are. Does he go out to win the game, which is what he says he does, or does he think, right, we don't lose these two, you know, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be okay, so we go a little bit more defensive. I don't think we can do that, by the way. But it is a test of where you want to go and what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, I, you're right to say it's a crucial week. You know, we're not, we're not talking must win at this stage of the season. It's like it's still August. My, my, one of my biggest concerns in the summer was that um, losing becomes a habit, as we saw last year, and it worries me that if we fall into that trap again and find ourselves down in that sort of bottom two or three places, it's very difficult to get back out of that. Um, and it, it, you know, all the hard work and uh, and optimism from the first two games disappear. Um, you know, I I would go as far as to say we um, we really can't afford to be coming out of the week with two defeats. I think if we if we came out with two draws, I think that that would be acceptable. That 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 do me. If if we ended up with two points, point a game, you know. Against what we can we consider two of the better sides in the league would be a good return. But I'd settle for four points now. I did. Yeah, I'd did. take Thank you very much today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much. We'll go home. I said yeah. in the, the pod intro um, that the shadow of last season still overhanging us a little bit, and I think that's true. I think that's true for us as fans because I mean I definitely feel that. Uh, I think it's probably true for the coaching staff and the players as well. So I really hope this week is quickly forgotten and moved on from so to finish off with Northampton you've just said four points I'm going to ask you again to give me a score prediction Mark I'm going to start with you because I feel like yours is going to be the most negative 1-1 one, one. Trev two, same one, again 1-1 one, one. oh couldn't get a 2-1 off you that time Trev. <laughs> Steve 1-2 okay oh I was wrong then Steve was the uh, the most negative there Okay, if you have been listening to us for the three years that we've been uh, doing the pod, then you'll probably be happy to hear that we've welcomed back Charles from the It's All Cobblers to Me podcast. Hello, Charles, and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Stuart. How are you? I'm all good, thank you. Um, It's a pleasure to say that you are now from the award-winning It's All Cobblers to Me podcast since we last spoke. So it's probably Mm. best to start off with that, please, if you don't mind. Yes, we won the uh, Football Supporters Association Club Podcast of the Year Award for 2021, back in November, uh, which was really lovely, unexpected, yeah, it was mind blowing to be honest with you. We were up against some much bigger clubs and the podcasts that talk about them. So Crystal Palace, Man City were in there, who were obviously much bigger. Uh, a Sunderland podcast, Wise Men Say, was in the running for it as well. Those three definitely much bigger in terms of the clubs that they're talking about um, than Little Old Northampton, and yet, yeah, we were the ones that. Victoria Derbyshire and John Murray handed the award over to. So, yeah, really, really unexpected, really just brilliant that that was given to us. And I get to have a really nice shiny trophy on my my lovely bit of IKEA furniture behind me. 
It is, uh, for anyone listening, it is a nice, lovely trophy, something I'm a little bit jealous of. So um, with your podcast success, there is every indication, if you believe the experts, that Northampton Town are going to have some on-field success this year as well. Um, Starting off the season, as most people's uh, tip to go up, some even as champions. Have you shared that optimism pre-season? I don't think we've gone as far as saying champions, although there will be some tweeters that will have been putting out the HMS Pista League memes and things like that every time we make a a quality signing. Um, But we have been pretty, I'd say, expectant in terms of wanting to get over last year and go one step further and make sure that we do get promoted this time around. I think for us, it's a case of we look at what happened last year, and I don't think anyone really expected us to do as well as we did last year, even ourselves. I think I predicted 10th and was thinking that that was going to be a nice stepping stone, especially with John Brady coming in as as full-time manager and permanent made last summer. And to then go and get as close as we did was great but we should have got over the line so it was also bad yeah it's one of those whereas this time we're hopefully going to use that as a bit of fuel for the fire to get us up and make sure we finish in the automatic places this year and I don't see why we wouldn't there's no one in this league that is to be feared and I, I say that and I think that's the same for every club like I don't think crew should really fear anyone in this division either. Um, Nor do I think that the likes of Sutton and Barrow should necessarily fear anyone, but it's one of those leagues that could be so tight this season that it's going to be a simple case of who can get the momentum earliest and who can then just sustain that and keep it going for as long as possible? And then obviously they'll be the teams. I, it's so obvious to say that, I know, but it really does come down to, I think, more of a case of that momentum building over quality necessary, uh, necessarily. So I wouldn't be surprised if if we are definitely up there. I'd expect it. But at the same time, it's really hard to call what else is going on? I mean, I, you know, everyone was saying Stockport were going to win the league. And look at us three games in. They've only just managed to get one win. So it's not an easy division. And it's certainly not an easy one to predict either. From what you've seen so far this season, has that pre-season uh, optimism from some of the fans, from the pundits, has that been backed up from the three games so far? It's early days. I would say that there are elements that back it up, but there are also elements where you can see we are not quite as strong as we would like to be yet. I think we're quite weak at the moment down our right side, and that is because we're missing Aaron McGowan, who had a fantastic season last year, but then got injured in the last game of the season against Barrow, missed the playoff campaign, and then has missed a huge chunk of preseason. I think he's started his mini preseason on his own in the last, what, about a week or so ago. So he's got maybe about three weeks to, before he can really come back into the team. And essentially, we've been using 
uh, a right uh, a right sided centre back at right back for our first couple of games. And although Tyler McGlaw did score this weekend, just gone, um, he's not looked particularly um, strong. Let's say at the back, he's come from. Blackburn Rovers. We did have him on loan for a little bit last season until um, Joey Barton's Bristol Rovers. Somebody broke his collarbone in that game against uh, at home against Bristol Rovers. Uh, but we've bought him. Um, Three-year deal. He's come back in. He's good on the ball. As a defender, he's got a lot of work to do. So I, I worry about that side of our game at the moment. Last season, we built our campaign off of having clean sheets and having a very, very strong defence. This season, we've not quite nailed that yet. Um, what have we done? We've conceded in the league four goals so far, no clean sheets in three. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a worry when you've got seven points on the board already, but compare it to last year, we'd have had at least one clean sheet out of those three. Um, so little things that still need tweaking. Northampton Town um, evokes a certain style of play for a lot of crew fans. Uh, I'm thinking of the, the Keith Curl era. Mm. Has that evolved now with the change of manager? I think it has, but not completely and utterly so it's unrecognisable. So I think we've built on what we had because that was the, the they were the players that we had at the time. Keith Curl... When we last met in League One, obviously it was locked down, so there wasn't very much money for our budget. So we went out and we got players that essentially were going to be a bit of rough and tumble. That's what we went for. That's what we were trying. Um, we tried to basically defend for our lives and hope that we could kick it long and a goal would just miraculously happen. Sometimes it did, but most of the time it didn't and we got relegated. Um, when John Brady came in, which was end of January, in that season he tried to get us to play down on the floor a bit more but as any manager will tell you the way that they train and they coach players is through repetition so it becomes second nature to do certain things so Keith Curl's way of playing was to basically just hoof it clear now if you've just told people over and over and over and over and over again that that is what you do in any given situation, it becomes second nature and that continues happening even once Keith Curl has gone. And John Brady admitted that, that that was going to take time to get out of the system of the players that we had at the team at the time. Now, we've had a bit of an evolution in terms of players, and we have brought players in who are more skillful. They are better on the ball. There's still a handful of players around that would have met last time around, but not many. And they are looking much better than they did under Keith Curl in League One. We are more fluent, I would say, in attack. We do not look to just hoof it at every opportunity. We will look to try and I won't say that we we do what crew do, which is look to play it out from the back every single time uh, or anything like that. But we do do that at times and we will you will see us sort of play around the back four. Nine times out of ten, the way that it will work is that the two centre backs will go wide. 
they will then if one doesn't have anything on then he'll pass it back across to the other and then we'll go from there and that's kind of our starting point the anchor of the uh, of the move but i don't think you're going to turn up on saturday and watch a team and go well they're completely different to what we we saw the last time around we're still tenacious We've still got Sean McWilliams in the middle of the midfield who is going to be snapping at heels at every given opportunity. Um, so, yeah, it's there's an evolution, but it's a slow evolution, not a quick change. A revolution. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You um, said that much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> One person who is possibly going to celebrate his new deal um, is Northampton Town captain... Uh, a friend of our podcast, John Guthrie, he's probably going to celebrate that with a goal from a corner. Um, <laughs> other than that, is the player we need to be looking out for, Sam Hoskins, someone you've already mentioned, or is there somebody else that we need to fear? Yeah, I mean, in terms of fearing a player, I think Sam Hoskins is the obvious one, although our fan base don't necessarily agree half the time. He's a very Marmite character for a lot although he is starting to win more people over now. He's been with us for seven years, played for every single manager that we've had within that seven years since he was brought in by Sir Chris Wilder. So it's one of those. It, it, for me, it's a bit lazy to say Sam Hoskins to you. The answer that I would have given before the start of the season was Mitch Pinnock, but he's just not had a very good start to the season. Last year, he was our most creative player. He's got an absolute wand of a left foot. It is beautiful. He scored some absolutely amazing goals last season. If you want to go and find just one of them, look up the win that we had down at Brisbane Road. We beat Leighton Orient 4-2, I think it was, in the end. Um, Mitch Pinnock's goal in that was just incredible. So check it out on YouTube to sort of see the kind of thing that he can do. But he's not quite been at the races so far this season. Um, player that actually won man of the match on Saturday in our game against Hartlepool, Mark Leonard. He's a midfielder. He's just come in. He's on loan. And uh, he is, uh, well, he won the man of the match award as a substitute. That's how good he was. And it's ridiculous, really, to, to be sat here saying that. He will deserve a start. We've obviously got a game on Tuesday, which is at Crawley. Um, we're going to be... I'd expect him to start in the midfield alongside Sean McWilliams. And then I think what we then need to do is that hopefully see a bit more from Danny Hilton. He's our star man on paper. He's yet to get off the mark. I would be a little bit worried if he still hasn't scored come Tuesday because he'll be chomping at the bit. And he doesn't come across to me as the kind of character that will just take not scoring lying down. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be worried about him. Okay, Charles, I'm going to let you go. But before I do, one final question. What's the score going to be on Saturday? It's really hard because you've just had a blip. So, <laughs> and quite a big blip as well. Um, I I love going to crew. I love going to that game. I love watching us play against you. There are two conflicting styles of football on display usually. I love seeing the way that we will press you as high up the pitch as possible and try and force those mistakes. I think that is what will happen. 
because we've not had a clean sheet yet, I think you will score. So I will go with a 2-1 win for the Cobblers. Okay, Charles, thank you for your time. Thank you, Stu. Cheers for having me. Uh, we're going to finish today then with the three of you with the transfer window. Now, I know it's open for a couple more weeks yet, but you guys may, you may not be on again before then. You've alluded already to a few of the crew squad members that you wouldn't mind sort of showing the door to. If that did happen, that would leave us very short in numbers. I think we're already a few short of what we need. Mark, is there anything, any position that you think we are crying out for in terms of getting someone in before the window closes? Yeah. If you're asking me if I think we will, then it would be no. Um, we certainly need another centre-half. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how long McDonald's going to be out for. Trevor, I think you might have a, a better idea than me, but um, if that's a long-term thing, then we're going to need another centre-half. And me personally, I'd like to see um, not the uh, not the young lads go out on loan. I, I'd be quite happy to see the manager send Ollie Finney and Regan Griffiths out on loan. Um, I, in fact, I'd be more than happy. I'd be dancing in the street, I think. Um, if we could get them out on loan and, and, and get some contribution towards wages, obviously it opens the door then to bring um, midfielder in, um, which again... Colkit doesn't look like he's going to be uh, someone that stays fit for long. So I think we probably need another body in there. But having listened to the chairman last week when he was interviewed by Graham, um, Graham asked him sort of outright if there's um, if the manager needs more players, is there a possibility for them to come in? And he, he did his usual, he did a politician's answer. If you go back and watch it and actually listen to his answer, he doesn't answer the question. So I think... Um, a centre half and a central midfielder, but I'll be surprised if we uh, if we get both of them. Steve, can you raise me a centre half and a centre midfielder? Um, I'd agree, and if I'm honest, I'd I'd bring back O'Riordan from Wraith. I think there's a there's a recall on his deal. It's unfortunate because he started well there, but ultimately is our player, and I think he looks far more comfortable playing in a back four than Billy Sass Davis. And if McDonald's injury is long term, he's going to be getting games for us. Um, and I, I know it's a shame because he's doing well there, but he is ultimately ours. So centre-half, I think a right-back. I don't subscribe to Rio can come back and play right-back because he's left-footed. I think that doesn't help. Um, I don't think Luke Offord is a right-back. I think defensively is sound, but he wouldn't offer us much going forward. So I think a right-back, a centre-half. And I think like Mark's mentioned, because um, uh, Colquette seems to be made of very, very thin twigs and just snaps whenever he gets near a football pitch. I think we need another midfielder as well. We've got Lesh Barla, who I think deserves a run. Um, not seen much of him. I think he's here. We might as well give him a go to see what he can offer us. But... Ron is about all he does do from what I've yeah. seen. I had him down on my notes. and I didn't sort of <laughs> want to pick him out because I think it's unfair, but I've seen three sub-appearances from him so far in the league. And I don't know what he does. He just runs about near the ball. I think he's come on, though, in, in games that are ultimately dead rubbers, hasn't he? I mean, he was chasing shadows yesterday and he came on. I think he came on against Harrogate and the game was won. Um, if, if he's here and we've got him, let's see what he can do. But I think a midfielder and, and a centre-half for sure. Great great call about Conor O'Reardon, by the way, uh, Steve. And I think to soften the blow, we could say, look, we, we're going to need him back. Um, but you can have Billy, As Billy Sass Davis. And Ollie Finney. Or Finney. Really <laughs> <Griffiths>. <laughs> I said soften the blow. 
I, I think the re the reason Connor's out is because he couldn't get Billy Sass Davis out. That that that's the real reason. See so, what I found bizarre, Trev, with that is that he's he's sort of seven foot tall, six foot wide. He's a Welsh international, and he seemed to do well at Yeovil. Like, um, and yet we don't want him in our first team. Something's just not right, is it? Something's missing. We, 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 well, would you pick him? No. Well, there you go. So. If you, <laughs> That, that but, but, but he is, but he is a Welsh international, and he is a big lad, and he's not slow. Um, and he's, you know, he's a, his head's like a magnet to the ball when it needs to be headed out. Um, you know, there's there's a player of sorts in there. It, it just, I wouldn't have him in our team. I think he lacks a football brain in the sense of positional play. When when he stood there and there's, he's up against somebody or the. He can see the ball coming in the box from a long distance and he can edit out, yeah. But what he doesn't see is what's going on around him. And if you don't see that, you get caught out a la yesterday's first goal. So he's, he's got the attributes. I don't think he's got the necessary acumen, is the word, I think. Going back to what we need in the transfer window, this these next two games will, will determine that. If if we, we we came with six points, it wouldn't be as um, a priority. But if we lost the two, then yeah, they, they would have to open the bank and the purse a little bit. Right backs definitely needed. Yeah, I think it's un, unfeasible to suggest Kelvin Miller can play every game all season. Exactly, and if Rio just come back, as, as Steve said, I don't like left footed right backs. Um, that doesn't work. Stop shit. I, I think I think it was the game. I don't know which game it was, but he played the whole game looking at the inside of the pitch because he was on the wrong side. Mm. He never faced forward. He was just facing the centre circle uh, it, from, from the touchline. It's something you mentioned in that chat with me when he said, I want to score goals, I want to get assists. You can't because you can't go far enough up the pitch playing that. So I think it stunts him so much playing on the, yeah. on the right, I think. And, you know, yeah. people have said they don't see a problem with it. You know, I do personally. I think you can play inverted wingers these days because you can cut inside and shoot. But I don't yeah. think you can come play an inverted fullback. I just don't think it works. No, exactly. It doesn't work. I don't. So sorry I've... to be um, so negative, but unfortunately, I, I do think that's the plan. I think that uh, Rio and Kelvin are going to battle it out for... Um, the right back spot. I don't think we'll bring a right back in. Um, I don't see how Zach holding... Williams would have signed the contract if he wasn't told he was going to be playing left back all season, though. So it makes sense. But I'm not wholly convinced, Stu, that he is uh, his best position is left back. He might want to play there, and he might travel all right with the ball. But actually, I think he's best at centre half. Yeah, he's a centre half all day, isn't he? He's he's yeah. not left back. No way. And I, I wouldn't think... be opposed to having him and Luke in the middle, Rio at left back and uh, and Kelvin at right back. That um, that'd be all right with with me. So I think I'll finish there. That will do us for another week. We will be back next Monday to talk about the two home games. Uh, until then, Mark, Steve, Trevor, thank you for coming on. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you as ever for listening. Until next week. Goodbye. Bomba 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 dang 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 ding dong ding blue